Welcome to the Brewers Trilogy Podcast, presented by the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy, the podcast for not only them diehard baseball fans, but also for those fans who enjoy cheering for a team that revolves around fear. My name is Tyler, aka T Plush, your host for the show. I'm a contributor for reviewing the brew for Fansighted and one of the co-founders of the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy, where you can find all the work we do on Twitter at Trilogy underscore pod. We tweet a lot about the Bucks, Brewers, and Packers. As I was, I'm joined with good buddy Trevor, a.k.a. Sunshine Bender. You can find him on Twitter at Bender underscore Trevor. He is a host of the Packers Trilogy podcast. And we are here to recap a series win. Brewers taking two out of three versus the Pirates. But how are you doing on this fine evening there, Trevor? I'm doing pretty good. I mean, it's tough to not be doing good after watching the pitching in this most recent game. That's for sure. Amen. The game was cruising along, and I actually thought we were going to get to get this podcast done, wrapped up, like, before 10 o'clock, but eh, then, of course, baseball finds a way to even out, and a game will never be as fast as that Timber Rattlers game we went to one time where it was done in, like, two hours and five minutes. It was ridiculously fast. Yeah. (laughs) That was crazy. It really was. (laughs) All right, but yeah, as you said, the Brewers get their first series win of the year, and man, were games one and two absolutely wild. And the Brewers won game one, and it was in their favor, seven to six in 11 innings. There was a two-hour rain delay, so if you stuck around, the game ended up ending around midnight. Adrian Hauser went out, pitched, then had to sit through the rain delay, and he came back out and Pitched quite well. He gave up one mistake pitch to Colin Moran, who just destroyed the baseball into the Allegheny. I believe that was the first batter back after the rain delay, and then he really settled in after that. In fact, a single ball didn't leave the infield after the rain delay while Hauser was pitching. The Brewers' offense wasn't necessarily struggling. They were getting guys on, but they just couldn't capitalize with runners in scoring position. It was a particularly rough game for Justin Smoke, 0 for 3. With runners in scoring position, he grounded into a double play in the second inning, struck out in the fourth with runners on the corners, and then lined out in the third, or in the seventh, excuse me, and then struck out in the tenth, so 0 for 4, excuse me, on that. Lorenzo Cain finally did get the Brewers on the board in the seventh. However, the seventh was just just crazy. Devin Williams and Alex Claudio couldn't get it done. Alex Moran homers again. And then from there, we go into the wild 11th inning. And the Brewers are eventually able to eke it out. David Phelps pitches all the innings and in extras there. And Eric Sogard delivers the clutch RBI double that would eventually be the game-winning runs. Game two, a lot of the same, just different result. Eight to six, lost. Josh Lindblom looked pretty good in his start before he went out with what they called back cramps, which 
sounds bad, but he described it as a boa constrictor <laughs> tightening on his back, so that sounds awful. Uh, the Brewers were able to load the bases in the seventh due to three straight walks, and then they ended up putting up four runs in that inning. And then, of course, in the bottom of the inning, the Pirates answered right back. So in the seventh, there were 17 batters, eight runs scored, four hits, seven walks, one hit by pitch, and a terrible error by Justin Smoke, <laughs> all in the seventh inning. And game three, a lot less calmer. Brandon Woodruff bring things back to normal. Gets 10 strikeouts. Ben Gamel hits a two-run bomb early to give the Brewers their first strike of the season where they got on the board first in a game, and they end up winning the series. So, whew, that was a mouthful. What were your thoughts on this tr- series, Trevor? I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is Brandon Woodruff because, I mean, obviously it was kind of the most recent performance that really stood out to me I mean you look at his what he did in this game he was just absolutely incredible and if it wasn't for really monitoring his pitch count I can't imagine on a normal situation that Craig Council wouldn't allow him to pitch through the seventh inning outside of that walk to start the seventh inning and an infield single swinging bunt type of play like he was absolutely incredible. His changeup was wild tonight. I I can't even begin to explain how great that looked tonight. Not a lot of sliders from Woody, but that's typically a pitch he uses against right-handers, and he had a lot of lefties in the lineup, and so a lot of fastball, changeup kind of combinations, and it was on point tonight. He was very, very good, and it was exciting to see true ace Woody because he wasn't bad against the Cubs, but this was vintage Woody tonight. It was awesome. Yeah, it certainly was. And the changeup is, you know, kind of what stood out to me. 25% of his pitches tonight were changeups. And that's in his first two starts, he's thrown more changeups than sliders, which is kind of eye opening to how I think he wants to pitch this year. And yeah, it's even crazier to think they, the Brewers were a swinging bunt single away from throwing a combined no hitter against the Pirates tonight. Like, so close. Just one of them weird baseball things. Other things from pitching standpoint, I want to touch on a couple guys. I think Brett Suter stood out to me in a good and a bad way at the same time. We saw the Brewers use him kind of in a multiple inning role again, and it's it's the second inning that's getting to him. In the Cubs series, he gave up a home run and ended up giving up a couple earned runs in his second inning of work. And then same with his outing in this Pirates series. So... I don't know, you think this is just like an early season fluke type of deal, or do you think he's much better kind of as a one-inning-and-done pitcher? I personally really trust him to be able to come back from this and pitch well um, and have times where he's that longer relief-type pitcher. Starter goes four innings, and you put Brad Suter out there to get you two or through the sixth, and, or at through the sixth, I should say, into the seventh inning. I think that I think that's going to be his role. He's just not quite there yet, whether it be he needs a little bit more time to get there or what's going on, but I do think he'll be there. I don't think he's going to be that 2019 Brett Suter that we saw in, albeit very brief, appearances. He pitched in nine games and had 18 innings, 
and he had a .49 ERA. So, like I said, it's very, very, very small sample size. But, you know, that's averaging about two innings pitched per outing. I think that's kind of where he's going to be. I think that's the role for him. I just think he's struggling a little bit early. And newsflash, he's not the only one struggling early. Our MVP is is struggling quite mightily as well. <laughs> Ugh, yeah, Yelly, one for 25 to start the year. And I don't even want to say the strikeout number. It's way too high. <laughs> On the bright side, Ronald Acuna of the Braves has struck out more times than Christian Yelich to start this year. So there is someone who's doing a lot worse well, not a lot worse, but worse than Yelich. <laughs> um, uh, kind of piggybacking off of Brett Suter, we saw the Brewers use Corey Knable to try and clean up Brett Suter's mess in Game 2. And we saw them use Corey Knable in that role against the Cubs as well, too. And both times he's been unsuccessful in, in not allowing the opposing team to score. Granted, he hasn't been charged with many of those earned runs because it wasn't his mess to begin with, but... I just didn't envision that's how the Brewers wanted to use him coming back off of Tommy John. I mean, I know he's a clutch player, but I kind of worry, like, if all these these couple failures will, if they keep using him in this role, if that'll get to his head or if they'll start switching him over to that more traditional, like, eighth inning close game type of pitcher. But he, he has been ramping up his velocity. He hit 96 a couple times this series, so that was good to see, but... What are your thoughts on how they've been using Knable so far? I personally think this is a stepping stone for him, uh, for lack of a better term. I think this is something that is just getting him to a point to pitch in those situations that you were just talking about. I think it's making sure that his stuff is back, you know, his fastball is back up to velocity consistently, all of those types of things, his location is on. And you give him these stressful situations, but not stressful to a point of you're winning or losing a game here. And in that situation, in that fourth inning, you know, he could have made that game a lot easier at that point. But, you know, it's not like if he does terrible, he was put in a terrible situation. It's not like they were up a run in the bottom of the eighth or whatever it happens to be. I think this is just kind of a stepping stone. Like I said, I think... This is the role for now, but I think as the season progresses, you know, as we get 20, 30 games in, he's going to transition to either the setup or the closer, depending on how Hater's doing, um, how Knable looks in these kind of, oh, what? how did they say it on the broadcast? You know, the fourth inning closer or whatever inning he comes in, he's just coming in to close out that inning, minimize the damage, and live to fight another day, essentially. So how does he do in that role, and is that going to lead them to have him be the setup man or the closer? I think he's going to be in that late inning role at some point, um, but I do think it's going to take a little bit of time before we see him there. Yeah, that's a good explanation of what his role is right now, because games can be decided in the fourth or fifth inning, as you were mentioning right there. It's, it's just not the role I envisioned right off the bat for him. I mean, that's pretty... It's stressful, and it's not stressful, as you kind of explained there. Switching over to the offense from the series, we kind of got it right on the head in terms of what we thought they were going to do with the leadoff hitter. They switched to Lorenzo Cain for against lefties, and then for the finale, they switched to Eric Sogard for their facing a righty. So 
we were getting into it a little bit on Twitter about who deserves that leadoff spot and whatnot, but let's just get your take on it now that you've had a little bit more time to think about the Sogard versus Kane debate. Like you said, we did get into this on Twitter a little bit. It did kind of open my eyes a little bit to the possibility of Sogard and Kane kind of doing this platoon-ish type of whoever's hitting first is going to be hitting first because of the pitcher that's on the mound. And I do get that because as much as I like Kane more as a hitter, Eric Sogard has done tremendous getting on base and not just hitting the ball. I don't have it out in front of me right now, but his walks this year have just been incredible. I feel like every other at bat he's getting on base due to a walk. So he's been really good getting on base for those big guys coming up behind him. And sooner, well, I can't say sooner rather than later, but we hope sooner rather than later, Yelich is going to come out of it. It's not if he's going to come out of this, it's when to me. That's going to be the big thing. How fast can he get out of this kind of miserable slump that he is currently in? I know it's going to happen. It's just about when. And can the Brewers weather the storm until he gets out of it? And a big part of that is giving him opportunities. And if this Sogard Kane platoon in the leadoff position is the best bet, then that's what we do. Get Christian Yelich as much opportunities as we can. I think keeping Keston behind him right now is going to be a good idea because Keston's starting to swing the bat much better. And then that makes you want to pitch to Yelich because he's in a little bit of a funk and hopefully that helps him get out of it. So long story short, I am kind of turning around on this. I get the platoon, but I'd still, I think Lorenzo Cain's the better player there. But based on how Sogard is being very, very patient at the plate and getting on base, I completely understand what Craig Council is doing. Yeah, it makes sense. And we mentioned on the last podcast we weren't sure if Sogard had batted leadoff or not, and he has. We looked at his stats from last year, which was the first year he did it in a substantial amount of games. And when you compared that to Lorenzo Cain's 2018 season, which was his best year batting leadoff, we kind of found their batting averages were a wash. Uh, Lorenzo Cain won in on-base percentage because that was a career year for walks for him. But Eric Sogard won in the slugging category and just slightly edged him in terms of production from an RBI standpoint. But then you look at speed and Lorenzo Cain wins in that regard. So it's just back and forth seesaw battle. I've had a couple thoughts in my mind like, hey, you know, we're talking about these two great players who are great options at leadoff, why don't we just make one of them our two-hole hitter? But then I think the problem is then you're taking at-bats away from Yelch and Hira because they'd have to go three and four. And later in the game, you know, if they're if they're playing like they should, you want those guys to, to produce and come up with some clutch hits as well. So I'm not quite sure moving one of them up into the two spot and shifting our power guys back is the best option. But we did get to see how the Brewers wanted to line up against left-handed pitchers this year, and Jerko got in. They did not start Omar Narvaez, which I'm a little bit disappointed in. Justin Smoke stayed in both games, moved down a little bit. He went from the four spot to, I think it was like the six spot, so just decreased a little bit. And then it was good to see Ryan Braun back in against lefties there, but... 
Any other complaints, comments, concerns about how you think the Brewers lined up against lefties for this series? Not really. I just think there's some obvious bats that are struggling right now. And the ones that stand out, Yelich already mentioned, Smoke, you just mentioned. Um, those are the guys that really stand out in terms of kind of struggling to start the year off. But those are also two veteran players that I expect to get back to some level of production. Obviously, Yelich is going to have a higher level of production than Smoke, but I do think that both these players are going to come out of it, but it's just a matter of when are they going to be able to do that. And if Smoke doesn't get out of it soon, does that mean a lot more of Ryan Braun, Logan Morrison playing that first base role? I guess we'll have to see um, what happens there. Yeah, because we did see Lomo bat fourth in game three, and then Smoke was DHing batting fifth. So, you know, my first impressions way too early through six games is Smoke's kind of, he's kind of losing his job a little bit. So we know Jerko can play first. Braun, uh, we haven't seen it yet this year. Um, so I guess that will be something to monitor. Other guys who are in a funk, though, I know you're going to get riled up against this one. Ed Cedar. There was there were some questionable things that happened on the base paths this week. So what are you thinking? What's up with Ed Zeter? I don't know. It's just kind of gone downhill since I heard him in that mic'd up game in the inner squad scrimmages because he was hilarious during that. There's just it just seems like there's been a lot more calls or plays that he is sending the runners on that you know they say they're perfect throws but it also looks like they're out by a step or two so they don't even have to be perfect throws i kind of get the one in game three you know sending him with two outs that's probably your best opportunity to score but also he was out by two steps like maybe even three and it was a great throw don't get me wrong but when you're out by that much why are you sending the runner even on two outs like in that case you have a better chance of getting another hit and seeing what happens and you get a run that way it's just kind of a weird thing because in previous years he's done a pretty good job there but it's just like a lot in this short six game window that we have to look at but there's just a lot of plays there i'm like dude why are you sending him in this situation and uh, what game was i can't even remember what game it was this series i don't remember um he sent one of the guys on a fly ball and I was like, at first I was like, is it deep enough? I saw where the guy caught it. I'm like, oh, no, not deep enough. And then they said, oh, he's tagging. And I'm like, what are you doing? And he was out by three, four steps. And I'm like, that doesn't even make sense. I get being aggressive, but over-aggressiveness is just downright stupid. And I am not impressed at all right now. (laughs) Yeah, the last one you're mentioning there was when Ryan Braun got thrown out at home. Yes. Mm -hmm. The one in game three was Eric Sogard trying to score on a base hit to left he got thrown out so i mean two guys with i'd say average to below average speed (laughs) i mean they're no justin smoke or jed jerko out there (laughs) um but surprisingly ed cedar did have jed jerko tag up um from second on a fly ball into center today and he made it so like that was kind of aggressive. There was only one out in the inning, so that kind of helps move that runner up. You know, another sack fly, maybe, maybe scores Jerko. Jerko, who knows? <laughs> that that one was very, very deep, and I think it was Rock said it on the broadcast. That was closer than I expected it to be because that was like deep, 
kind of in the alley and right center. And I did, I was like, okay, you have to tag there. It wasn't even close and it shouldn't have been close, but the throw actually got there fairly close. If it was online, it would have been a play, but I didn't disagree with that call. Even if he would have got him out somehow, I would have been like, okay, I was, I would have sent them there too. But some of those other ones, it's just kind of confusing and we'll have to see if it kind of keeps trending that way. And if it does, I think there's going to be some rowdy Brewer fans on Twitter. I've already seen a couple of them. <laughs> yeah, and then the last base runner got thrown out this series was Arcia, and that was his dumbass's fault for not sliding when he's tagging from second to third. So I'm not pinning that one on Cedar, but there's a lot of base runners thrown out. Some good throws. That one to Jerko, you said it was deep. I'm trying to remember, but I know it did one hop to third, so if it gets there on a line, ugh. It would have been interesting. Uh, but either way, you know, I, I like aggressiveness. This, you got to take chances when when you know you got it, I think. So I'm not totally on board. Let's fire Ed Cedar. Not that I think that's going to happen in this short season. But on another note, we did get to see the first extra inning game this year, and it did go to 11. So I want to talk a little bit of strategy with you because you're totally on, uh, on board the uh, small small ball bunt him over train when you have that runner on second. The Pirates tried to do that in the 10th inning and end up striking out trying to bunt over, which is just 2020 baseball in a nutshell right there. <laughs> and then the Brewers in the 10th inning, they used so many pinch hitters in the 9th to come back and play matchups that they had to stick with Omar Narvaez as their runner on second because he got the last out in the inning. So... <laughs> I feel like the strategy where late in the game Craig Council likes to pinch hit and play matchups that way with his hitters, it might backfire if the game ever goes into extra innings because we did not see the Brewers bunt at all. So that was kind of a weird situation where you're really coming back from a big deficit, right? And you got to do everything you can to try to get back. And in this situation, yeah, kind of screwed you up a little bit for that 10th inning but if you imagine you know even going into the ninth inning whether you're home or away and you know you have the game tied and you know your first batter you just throw him out there see what happens say it's an out then at that point I don't think he's going to be quite as aggressive and he's going to wait for extras and try to play that game and hope that his pitching does the job and then they can find a way to score the run. I still think small ball is the way to go. You've got to find someone that can bunt, obviously. And if you didn't use all your hitters in the ninth, you know, maybe you can pinch hit for someone as long as it's, you know, and not your catcher and you already used the, your other catcher or whatever, but you can pinch hit in the 10th inning and f just have one or two guys that can bunt and throw them out there when that happens. Even if it's a pitcher, just can you pinch hit a pitcher? I can't imagine why not. I think so. Question mark. So just throw a pitcher out there that can bunt. Bunt it along the first baseline or even short third base. That might work too if you get the third baseman to come up a little bit and get off the base. Um, but probably the first baseline. Get your guy over. Now you have one out. And Eddie Cedar can be as aggressive as he wants with pop flies at that point. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that was a great ending to that extra inning strategy, capping it off with Ed Cedar. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I, I will say the extra innings had a lot more suspense and a lot more strategy than I ever thought there was going to be in it. I I kind of liked it at first, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. It, it was giving me a heart attack. Even like the simplest of ground balls, I'm like, oh my gosh, if he bobbles it, you know, we're going to lose. And oh, it's too much for my blood pressure to handle, but it, it does make the game pretty exciting. Switching on over, let's go into our series MVP. And series duds. We had a series win. Let's start with an MVP. Who do you got? This is hard because it's between two guys, in my opinion. Um, So I'm going to hope you take the other one, and I imagine you will. I am going to go with Woody because we saw true ace Brandon Woodruff in game three of this series. Like I said earlier, six and a third, just allowed that one swinging bunt infield hit. Uh, Did have the walk to lead off the seventh. He did have 10 Ks, retired 17 guys in a row um, in between that hit and that walk to start off the seventh inning. He was incredible. Like like Tyler and I said before, his changeup was masterful, paired it with his fastballs, and it's it was just incredible. Um, occasionally got the slider to go in there. There was one sequence. Uh, it was one of his strikeouts. I think he went fastball, change up away, and then he went to the slider away to a righty. And it was just like three perfect pitches strikeout. And it was absolutely a thing of beauty. And it summed up his night absolutely perfectly. Yeah. And kudos to Omar Narvaez for calling that game. That, I, I don't think that should go unnoticed. Like, good work by him for his first first year with the club and a weird year at that. So I'm hoping your other guy you were between was Kesson Hira because that's who I'm yes. going to go with. Yep. <laughs> he was my dud last week, and he rebounded. 5 of 10 this series, 5 RBIs, 2 home runs. Didn't have any necessarily super clutch hits like some guys who are on my honorable mention list, but... Did his damage early, was the most productive brewer in terms of RBIs this series, so easy MVP for me. I would agree. It it was really hard for me not to choose him, but Brandon Woodruff was such had such a great great performance tonight that it, it was just hard for me not to choose him either. Some of the MVP, or MVP honorable mentions for me, I'm going to look at like Eric Sogard. The dude drew five walks this series, two of six batting, had the uh, go-ahead RBI double in game one. That was pretty clutch. Ryan Braun, I'll give him I'll give him honorable mention here, three of ten for the series. His first hit was obviously the game-tying two RBI double to send the game into extras, and then... My last honorable mention, I'm going to go with David Phelps. Guy pitched in some high leverage situations and extra innings, was in during the seventh inning of game three, ends up going two and two-thirds the series, striking out three, allowing zero runs. I was impressed with him, and his cutter looks pretty damn good. Yeah, I would agree. So you said Phelps, Braun, and Sogard, right? Yep. And I think uh, Avi Garcia deserves some credit, too. Three for eight, five walks, two doubles. He had a solid, solid series as well. I don't think he had any RBIs, but he looked good at the plate and was definitely patient, just like Sogard was as well. All right, let's switch over to Duds. Are you going to do it two weeks in a row? I sure am. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, Christian Yelich continues to struggle. 
you know, I mentioned it last week at for the Cubs recap. You know, I did this because when I yell at Giannis, he always comes back and does great. So apparently Christian just hasn't found this podcast yet. So hopefully he finds it this week and then he <laughs> hates me now, but he's going to play great. That's completely fine with me. But Yelich, 0-14, one walk, seven strikeouts. It's just a rough, rough two series to start the year for him. Hopefully being in Miller Park is going to change everything and he's going to be back to MVP level Christian Yelich here soon. I'll have to at Christian Yelich when we post this podcast so he finds it. So <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, my series, Dud, I kind of mentioned him earlier, was Justin Smoke. 1 of 12 for the series, five strikeouts, 0 for 4 with runners in scoring position, as I kind of stumbled through earlier. Uh, did draw one walk when he was in an opportunity with runners in scoring position, but. Just awful at the plate. Had that terrible error in Game 2 where he threw it into left field. I don't think there was any way they were going to turn that double play, but at least you get a runner out who would not be in scoring position. And, man, one more bad series against the Cardinals, and he might be looking at someone else playing first base and someone else taking his at-bats like <clears throat> Ben Gamble. But, <laughs> yeah, any other duds for you? No, Smoke was was it. Okay, so if Smoke turns it on and plays great in the Cardinals series and Yelich does not, it's your responsibility to call out Yelich at the end of the next series. All right, that's fair. That's fair. We'll, we'll okay. shit on Yelich if he continues this. <laughs> yeah, but it only can be you because it worked really well for Kesson. If it works for Smoke, then we I have to pick someone else, I guess. All right, if Yelich is terrible, that's how we're just going to open next week's podcast. Ten minutes of bitching about it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, moving on. Next series, we have the Cardinals, the stupid Redbirds, and the home opener, which really means nothing besides we're in Miller Park. (laughs) But this is the start of a 17-game stretch. What's going on with the Cardinals? Well, they're playing the Twins right now, so they're coming from the Twins to the Brewers. They recently lost stud pitcher Michaelis. He's done for the season. So their starting rotation is labeled as day-to-day, kind of like the Brewers are and many teams around the MLB right now. They picked up that stud guy from overseas. I know the last name's Kim. I'll butcher his first name, but he had been a starter overseas and long time doing it but he's been announced as their closer so for right now it looks like the starting matchups pitching wise is gonna line up as Flaherty versus Anderson on Friday Wainwright versus question mark on Saturday and then Dakota Hudson versus Adrian Hauser on Sunday so what are you looking for in this series you know that's a tough draw to start the home opener with Jack Flaherty that's uh, he's a very good pitcher, and that's definitely a matchup that you have to have your eye on. Adam Wainwright, he's he's got the name recognition, right? But, you know, this is his age 38 season, so what does he have left in the tank? He does have a 1.5 ERA through his first start, pitched six innings, uh, and gave up one earned run, so and three hits in his first uh, outing as well, so... What does that mean? You know, those are the main guys that I'm looking at, and that's Dakota Hudson, right? Or is that a different Hudson? Dakota. Okay. So, I mean, that's three solid pitchers that we have to go up against. 
to me, it's keeping an eye on how the Brewers do early in these games. If they can get to the bullpen, if they can get these guys kind of flustered early, I think is going to be important because they're all three pretty good pitchers. And then the other thing is, what happens with Brett Anderson? You know, the Saturday starter is left open because they want that flexibility if Anderson can only go a couple innings just coming back. You know, if he goes a couple innings, then do you throw Corbin Burns or Freddie Peralta out there for three or four? Like, what is the plan there? And that's the reason why that Saturday is open. So that's kind of what I'm looking for on the Brewers' side for pitching is – one, what can Brett Anderson do? And then two, what does that mean for Saturday? Are we going to get another Corbin Burns start or kind of what's happening with that? Yeah, because that Brett Anderson was supposed to be a Corbin Burns start. So, you know, did they piggyback those two together or do they save Burns for Saturday or does Freddie get another chance? Does Eric Lauer sneak in here somewhere? Those are all kind of weird things to consider. And when you kind of look at the Cardinals lineup, I mean, their big power hitters hit lefties really well. Thinking like Paul DeYoung and Paul Goldschmidt, they destroy left-handed pitching. Now, Brett Anderson is a ground ball pitcher, so hopefully that would play to his favor. But, I mean, Eric Lauer can be a ground ball pitcher, but he doesn't have a hard sinker like Brett Anderson does. Or, well, I wouldn't even say Brett Anderson is a hard sinker. He just has a sinker that's not very fast (laughs) but you know so it kind of in my mind like for the brewers that saturday game i would like to see a righty start preferably corbin burns so like if on friday they want to piggyback anderson and peralta i think that'd be good especially because freddie peralta's been in those kind of situations before and he's done quite well so that's kind of what i would be looking for In terms of the Brewers offense, though, you mentioned getting to the starters, which is something the Brewers have not been good at throughout their first six games. The only bad news is the Cardinals bullpen is off to an extremely good start. I'm looking at a tweet here from MLB Random Stats, and it's the best bullpen ERAs. Now, this was posted on Wednesday around like noonish, so it does not have Wednesday night's games incorporated into this or Thursday's games, even though the Brewers have off, but the Cardinals currently had the best or the third best bullpen ERA at one point two nine through fourteen innings of work. So getting to the bullpen is just gonna be as tough as these starters, and we know that about the Cardinals. Their pitching is incredible. It's their offense that where they're lacking. You know, if you get to the starters early and get to the bullpen early, that means you did some damage to get the starters out of the game early. So that means you're probably starting the game, you know, third, fourth inning. You have a lead or at least runs on the board at that point. And it gets them to the bullpen earlier. And if you do that in game one, you know, that can affect have more of an impact in game two and three as well if they have to use a bunch of pitchers early on in the series. Yeah, that's a good point because tiring out their bullpen would definitely go to our favor especially like even after the series because then they're still struggling in that regard. Um, other guys from like the Cardinals offense, I mean, the one guy I'm watching out for, obviously, besides Paul Goldschmidt, the freaking home run champion against the Brewers, is Tommy Edmond. He came onto the scene kind of late last year and was a real spark plug for a struggling Cardinals offense. He's a switch hitter. He has okay power. He had 11 home runs in 90 games last year. But the power is starting to come there. He hits for a high average, makes good contact, has good speed, and 
he's kind of one of those guys I want the Brewers to to neutralize. So we'll see how he plays in that series. But you have anything else in terms of the Cardinal series at all? I really don't. I I think it's going to be a fun one to watch. It this one's going to mean a lot in the division as well. Just like that Cubs series, I think you know taking two from the Pirates was important. That second game, winning that second game would have been really nice and would have helped tremendously, especially after losing two to the Cubs. But being 500 going into this series, you take this series, you're kind of right on track to what we thought, and then you just got to go and play 500 baseball through this 17-game stretch. And then kind of into September, we get more of those off days coming up and Hopefully that allows you to take it a little bit over 500. But I think through this stretch, if you're 500 on August 17th or 16th, whatever the next off day is for the Brewers after, well, today when the podcast comes out. But after that point, if you're 500 going into that off day, I think you have to be pretty happy as Brewer fans because you know more off days are coming up. And that should lighten the load and hopefully help the Brewers in terms of getting a few more wins. And like we said before, I don't know how many podcasts ago now, but, you know, 35 wins, that might win you the division. And you only have to take second to ensure your spot into the playoffs this year. So, you know, if you're 500 through this 17-game stretch, I think that's a solid, solid thing for the Brewers. Not that you can't actually go 500 in 17 games, but a game over would be nice. (laughs) I'm glad you figured out your math mistake there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'll try not to screw up mine, but yeah, through the 17 game stretch, we have 10 of them against the NL Central, the other seven obviously against the AL Central, and those are the White Sox and the Twins. So very tough opponents. So 500-ish I would be very happy with during this stretch. So we will recap what happened with the Brewers and the Pirates. That podcast will be coming out on Monday, and then we'll shift right into the White Sox again. So crazy times. It's good that sports are back. Uh, Everyone have a safe and good weekend, and we will talk to you later, Brewer fans. Trust in Burns. <laughs>